1: Now. Well, hello and welcome to another of these wonderful episodes of Pearls of Wisdom. And yet again, I'm doing one of the International Women's Day um interviews. Now anyone listening to this is going to say, but Pearl, it's we're we're in June now. Yes, we know that March the 8th is the date for International Women's Day, but also the International Women's Day movement lasts for the whole of the year. And we had such a massive interest. So many wonderful ladies have stepped forward to share their message. I've got interviews going through until September, October time, and they're probably going to go slightly longer. So this is why I'm still interviewing for International Women's Day today. My guest is the wonderful Mary Lennon. Mary, welcome! Welcome so much to the to the podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you. Thank you. I know. I know. We've been waiting for this. We did have to postpone a few times because life has sort of got in the way. But we are here. We are going to be recording this. And before I start with the questions, I'm going to go back to your Facebook profile because anyone that's listening to these um, this series. This whole thing about International Women's Day started with me sharing a memory of something I did four or five years ago. When I'd spoken for International Women's Day, it came up. There was a query on LinkedIn saying anyone that works in a male dominated um, arena and with me working in digital technology that is mainly male dominated. And I put my name forward. I gave a little brief example of what my um My career path had been and it was I was speaking at a school in Essex here in the UK and it was a comprehensive school I thought I was just speaking to the sixth form but when I got there they had cleared their whole assembly hall and I spoke to all of the wonderful young women right from I think it's year seven it's class now right the way through all the boys were sent back to class and the girls had the whole afternoon where I could speak to them about my my message and my career and I thought right why don't we do that so I did one message and I said who would like to be part of an international women's day project and it went mad I think we're up to about 250 maybe close to 300 ladies involved Mm -hmm. so that was the whole story behind it so Mary I'm going to now like I said um, this describe exactly how it went from the um, the description now Mary, you are a global life coach and magic carpet ride guy at Dare to Blossom. And if you're looking to connect with Mary, her website is www.daretoblossom.co.uk and of course if you're listening to this on the on repeat episodes you can look into the description and the links and the ways that you can connect with Mary will be in that description so you can reach out to her so now that I've got all that admin out the way we can now get on to the really exciting bit now Mary you've probably heard and we were discussing before we went live All the ladies in this series, I'm asking the same question because all our stories are different. But could you share with us your career path to date? What has taken you, what pivots or anything you've taken have got you to where you are now? Because I'm sure all the listeners will resonate with that and it's going to help anyone wherever they are in their career. So could you share that with us, please?
0: Delighted. Yeah. So it's a fascinating question. I love it. I've been thinking a little bit about it, but just, I know it'll just flow as I, as I come to speak. I don't really? know exactly what I'm going to say, but, uh, and I, I didn't think I had a career for a long time. And then looking back now from the age I am at 68, it's really circular. I find there has been a flow has been a yeah. theme, if you like, a pattern through my life. So, um, if I start, I graduated from university in 1974 with a degree in human geography, mm-hmm. and I loved people. I loved maps, particularly maps. I was brought up on maps. I loved the countryside. I loved, the, you know, the ground, the geology part of it. There's a lot about archaeology, and history, and sociology, and I just loved all that. And I really enjoyed my time studying that subject. Um, when I left, I did the traditional thing and tried to get a job. I couldn't. Uh, tried and tried. And well, if I say that, I tried for the summer of that year and I'd already planned to go and visit to New Zealand where my sister had emigrated just for a few years before with her young family as they were then. So I set off for New Zealand by ship, which you did in those days. It was a wow. way to travel. <laughs> it was just it was when air travel was much more expensive. It seems unusual now, doesn't it? But it was wonderful. It was a fantastic way to travel if you've got all the time in the world as I had because I hadn't got a job to come back to. <laughs> and um, it was great fun. So it was... You know, we were sort of in the, the third class, whatever they would call it. And there was a lot of Australians and New, Zealand go, New Zealanders going back from their year over this side of the world in Europe and England. And a few of us English people going over that way to do our sort of travelling around. And didn't call it a gap year then, but it was a bit like that. So a great fun, a great social life on the ship itself. So that was great. and met people who are still friends, some of them. And um, so... Uh, I arrived in New Zealand, I'll cut a little bit out of the story because it could take me a very long time to tell the whole story. (laughs) Anyway, I arrived in New Zealand, um, stayed with my sister for a few weeks. I got a job in a hotel in the far south, and she lives near Christchurch. I lived in Christchurch in South Island. Got a job in a hotel um, as a chambermaid, I think that one was down in the lakes um, in the far south in Fiordland in New Zealand, which is a wonderful, beautiful. After the I, mean, I love New Zealand anyway, the whole country is wonderful, if anybody knows New Zealand. I worked there for a while and I came back to my sister's for Christmas and I set off to the other end of the country, up in the far north. This is pure happenstance how this all happened, well, I just happened to get these jobs. Uh, up the far north of at the North Island and I had my second stint of hotel work up in the Bay of Islands. As a waitress, and uh, there's definitely people I met there who I'm still in touch with. one a very good friend I made, you know, i still in touch all these years later. So, um, and I was there from, you know, from October to June, I think, the following year, and I came back and continued the job search and didn't get on too well that. All sorts of things happened. I did start off, I did one term as a teacher training college, which I always said I wouldn't do. I didn't think I wanted to be a teacher and it was desperation really, but I only did one term and I realised it really wasn't for me. And there weren't very many jobs to be had in those days in teaching, so I didn't want to sort of compete with other people who were really, really keen. So I didn't didn't do that after all. So I did some more basic, you know, bits of work and things as you do. And then in 1976, which for those of us who are old enough, remember it was a glorious summer. It was a really hot summer here in England. And I had a job working for... Rick and Jill Stein in what was to become the seafood restaurant in Pasto, which is now quite well known. It was their second year of business, so it wasn't then. And I worked that summer and I was only working evenings. I spent a lot of time on the beach, on the beach which is where I met my husband to be. And uh, he was a lifeguard. So it was a lovely, lovely summer. And then I decided to go back to New Zealand again because I couldn't, couldn't get a job. So I went back to New Zealand again. But whilst I was away, and we realised that actually it wasn't just a summer romance, it was actually a lifelong partnership we were about to form, which was, sounds very romantic, wasn't it? It was rather rather lovely. And because it was in the days when we couldn't communicate so easily, um, we wrote letters to each other, which we still have.
1: Wonderful.
0: So it was rather wonderful, yeah. So uh, actually, I spent quite a lot of time in Sydney that time. I went to Australia first to see a friend I'd made on the previous trip and worked in a hotel there, which was a wonderful place to work in the centre of Sydney-on-the-harbour. So that was really my work experience, hotel <laughs> work, until I came back again. And then it was still really hard to find jobs, and I wanted to stay in Cornwall by then, because I met my husband, we decided to get married, and neither of us wanted to move out of Cornwall. So I started a small business, and um, with the encouragement of my mother, actually, because she was always a very creative person, um, and she did things like a lot of women did in her age. They weren't really allowed to work, certainly after the war. Women were expected to go back to the home, and the men took the jobs back. Didn't they? Yeah. But thinking um, so of International Women's Day, you know, that's the sort of <laughs> thing we try to we're still, in sometimes some, time, some of the circumstances, sort of battle against. But she made all sorts of amazing things, partly for fun and partly for necessity, and partly to earn a bit of money. But she was definitely entrepreneurial. You know, she wouldn't have called herself that, but she was. I started off a craft business myself, making copper enamel jewellery, um, so if anybody's familiar with that, it's a heat process, you use a little kiln and uh, fire the colours onto a piece of copper shape, whatever shape you are using, make different patterns and colours with it. And I love doing that, and I developed that into a full-time business over 15 years. Wonderful. And, um, for a while, I worked in hotels as well, or pubs, locally, restaurants, things like that, just to paid away a bit more but after a while they didn't need to it became you know, quite a full-time business and um, it went very well except I hadn't worked out how to be my own boss at that time I uh, worked far too hard yes oh I know that feeling <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I was working and working and working and not seeing my friends and you know sort of enjoying it but you know being quite quite unhappy as well some of the time I used to travel quite a bit I had this ancient old car Renault 4, if anybody remember those. which is yes. a little car, but it kept breaking down. i keep jumping out and fixing it. I got quite handy with a screwdriver and things. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. I would never drive anywhere in a car like that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was before mobile phones, too. So you couldn't even <laughs> call for help very easily. Anyway, that, I really enjoyed that. But after a while, there was, in the early 90s, there was another recession, and mm. um, it hit my business. I had a lot of wholesale customers by then, like, Got the business up to sell to people all over the world but mostly within the UK and um, so shops will stop buying because they're worried about their season being cut by this recession but at the same time I actually wanted a change so this is definitely a pivot moment if you like and I, I wanted to go back into studying because I've done my degree but that was
1: you know
0: it's sort of 15 16 years ago by then I thought that would be really nice to go back to see if my brain even though I've been learning all these things about business. Um, but I, um, you know, and I went into that first business with no knowledge of how to run a business at all. <laughs> <No> <laughs> whatsoever. So I learned by trial and error, I'm making all of the this late. Um, anyway, I, I, I eventually found a job locally with a company that was setting up a research branch in Cornwall, they were based in London, and, and we we're recruiting a team of business to business researchers. So I, I, um, I got this job in order to pay for my uh, university MA course I wanted to do, a Master of Arts uh, with the Open Universities. So I right. started doing that, and I got the job to pay for it, which was a, a bit of discussion within <laughs> my home situation about what I was doing, spending this money on doing this <laughs> this thing, uh, which is uh, again what you need to do that for. Oh, I, want to, I want to learn new things, and um, so I started this job, and. It began as part-time, and then the other part-timer left, so that turned into full-time. So it was really interesting. It was about, about technology. It was about technology. It was about, and the main focus of this research was what they called EDI, electronic data interchange. It probably makes sense to you, but I'm not sure it will to anybody. <laughs> um, but we were talking to companies um, about how they were using you know, electronic systems, basically. So... Obviously we had we had an email then I used email and a basic form of the university based internet. Which who developed it, didn't they? They developed it for academic use when I was studying, but this was you know coming on into business and we used to do a survey that was shown back to the same companies every year to look at them and see how they've moved on, which is really nice because you get developed a relationship with them. We specialized yeah. in different sectors. Most of my specialization was the public sector. So I was yeah. talking to education people, education software people, doctors, doctors' practices, um, all sorts of things. It was really quite interesting, even though I knew nothing about technology at the time. I had bought <laughs> a basic computer not long before. But at the beginning we didn't even have windows, it was green screens and <laughs> having to program you know do data programming and uh, all this stuff so it seems extraordinary now and then we, we did get windows and we got some other packages and, and we used to interview all around the world as well some of the projects we did um we some night work and that came a bit later actually another part of the story before i get <laughs> But, you know, it was, it was interesting. It was a challenge. I'd never worked in an office before, so I had no idea about <laughs> office Having been self-employed for a long time, I was quite shocked to find that people went to an office and actually didn't do anything some of the time. Oh, yes. Yes, I know exactly what you mean there.
1: Definitely. <laughs> when you're self-employed, if you don't work, you don't earn anything, do you? Exactly. I think self-employed, you have a completely different work ethic. And like you, a lot of my clients have been public sector and um, I'm so used because I get a really good day rate when I work with the corporate sector I will go in I will be there seven o'clock in the morning and I will leave seven eight o'clock at night but you will find a lot of civil servants they will get in maybe nine ten o'clock and they leave at four and because they're permanent employees they get paid from the minute they leave their house and I I live in the Midlands and I was commuting to Westminster every day. But no, I I didn't get paid, but I got a set day rate. But yes, I know I've digressed, but it is when you work for yourself, you work until the job is done. Whereas an employee is so used to saying "Right," it's almost like clocking in and clocking out. They watch the clock and they only do their allotted time and they leave whether something's finished or not. (laughs)
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that's that's the sort of flip side of what I said earlier about working too hard and not being a very good boss to myself. And I found yeah. these people who didn't actually pull their weight within the team. You know, I was, I was quite shocked. I found it quite difficult. And you know, on the other side of it, if I finished what I was told to do, I think I could go and do something else. You know, or, or, yeah. or leave. I didn't used to leave, but you know, I used to think oh, I finished that job. Either give me something else to do, or I'll, or I'll go home. <laughs> I'll go out to lunch or something. That. Uh, yeah that, that got settled into it there was yeah there's some really good people there and um after a while I was made a, a manager of the new team they recruited a team of language speakers to do the international work and I was made a manager as well without any real preparation or training for it to be quite honest <laughs> and that was a bit of a challenge too um and I was still studying I'd done I think I've done two years the three years by time this next thing happened, I was about to tell you about. I've done three years of the four-year program. The part-time master's was a four-year program at the Open University. And I studied really what was available, but I chose um, MA in education. because I was interested. I didn't want to be a teacher, but I was interested in teaching and learning and how people yeah. learn and education. And the first module of that was um, gender and education. So it was a mini women's studies course, so you can imagine that really... <laughs> So international women's day is really important to me. And um just the side of that, I think it should be the whole year anyway. I don't yeah. think it should be one day that we worry about yeah. women being represented. It should be I mean, you know, the ideal will be when you didn't have to do anything. Yes. I
1: yeah, but <laughs> I think so we're normal. still a long we're still a long way for that. But then hopefully discussions like this are gonna help where yeah. it's people that are used to working in certain environments, and so we know what the role of a woman as a leader is and how we can then emulate that to others and others can copy and actually see from there yes yes exactly
0: so um it's interesting in that job the um uh, the manager we i worked for was a woman the um the owner of the company t- took a very strong interest and he was a, a very sort of charismatic entrepreneurial chap who wasn't actually very good at dealing with people, which is yeah. quite common, you know. Yes, was <laughs> He did delegate, but you know, sometimes he couldn't resist. <laughs> saying he had things how oh, he saw them, shall we say? Um, so anyhow, in 1994, I had a, a big wake-up call when I received a diagnosis of cervical cancer yeah. out so of the blue. I've been keeping up my my tests that we know for, you go know, for every two or three years, whatever it is. Never had an abnormal smear test before, mm. um, and then was was called. I yeah, was called back and told I had to go and have some follow up at the hospital, which I did. And then I received this call one day to come and see the doctor after the surgery had finished. Of course, that doesn't happen, does it? No, no mm. doctor calls you and asks you to come and see them. Um, so I knew something you know, big was about to be big news was about to be given me. So. Uh, I didn't receive that diagnosis, and then I had surgery afterwards. I was fortunate, I feel, in some ways, because I was only treated with surgery that managed to remove what was necessary. And um, I didn't have to have radiotherapy or chemotherapy because it hadn't spread. Um, But the surgery was very major. Um, When you say it's a hysterectomy, lots of women experience that, but there's so many different sorts of what they call a hysterectomy. So this was much more major than many people have. Because it involved a lot more, removing a lot more things, including lymph nodes, and you know, mm-hmm. a lot more, made a lot more difference to my body than it does for some people. Um, and you know, it took me a long time to recover from the surgery, really, and from the impact, because as a psychological, emotional,
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know, family impact from having a diagnosis like that. So it took me a long time. And my, the company I worked for, a small company, were very helpful. They kept me on pay for six weeks. But by then, they they sort of expected me to be better and be back at work, and so did I, and I wasn't.
1: Well, you can't. Something like that takes a lot longer. But it's yes, I could. Yes, I can relate to quite a few things that you're saying here. <laughs> yeah. So I did try to go back gradually,
0: and um I remember ringing in the office one day, speaking to one of my colleagues, and I said, "I'm uh, I'm going to be a bit late." My I was in tears, and she says, to "Me, Mary." Don't come in. She wasn't my boss. She just said, don't come in. You can't do this. You know, it's not fair on yourself. Mm. I didn't. And <laughs> I went on sick leave, proper sick leave, which was hard financially. But that mm. was what was needed because then I wasn't feeling guilty for not going. Yeah. And, yeah. and the, um, you know, the, unfortunately, uh, the male bosses didn't really understand. So nobody can really. When you, you know, surgery, you just think, oh, somebody's having this done. And now they're better because the cancer's gone. Yeah
1: actually, <laughs> well, there's so much more after that. I mean, my mother had breast cancer, and they had to remove her lymph nodes and everything as well. Unlike you, yeah. she'd gone and she'd had her mammogram. Everything seemed fine. We've got a lovely caravan in Wales, and anyone that's connected to me on Facebook will see that I I share what I've been there recently. So I share all the lovely pictures of the red kites. But my mum wanted to go to the caravan. It was her turn. She she'd got that time, and she got the call. there's something wrong with your mammogram and she's saying oh no I'm going to go to the caravan but her boss at the time had had breast cancer and said to her no you do not miss this you go and thankfully she did because when she went and saw the doctor she had the most virulent form of cancer and they caught it early enough but like you've said doing the recuperation afterwards I don't think she had chemotherapy I'm not sure if she had the radiation but I don't think so she had to have a few things but it was the sheer exhaustion afterwards and recovering when everyone thinks you're supposed to be okay it isn't I know my mum got depression because she was in A role that they then wouldn't give her back they said that because she was off too long they tried to get her taken out of the role because I wanted to kick up and say no you've got to fight it and she said no if they don't want me here I don't want to stay but everything you're saying resonates in so many ways and is if you get a diagnosis like that in my mum my mum was a prime example don't go off on holiday. If you're called to go and see someone, the matter of days can make the difference between life and death, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it can, exactly. So I was I count myself very, very fortunate in some ways, but it was also and it's hard for, for people to understand, you know, you look quite well, because I was at home, I was sitting in the garden and you know, getting a suntan and thing. And I looked fine, but I wasn't. <laughs> I just didn't understand this level of pain that I was experiencing. But um so when it, it was easier when I went on to sick leave in some ways, and uh, then I eventually negotiated a, a return and and mostly working from home, which my early days of working from home, which which was great. You know, I had a office in the garden and used to make make all these phone calls. we it's still sort all of phone based then, <laughs> phone calls around the world. I had some really funny times. because A lot of it was in America, so I, I volunteered to do the night shifts because I was working from home. So I would in my little shed in the garden. I had one time I was talking to these. Um, It was a team of people in America, and I think they were all in different offices, all on conference call. And they're all men. And um, of course, they love my British accent, so I have a great advantage. So they were talking about these days people won't do research calls at all I don't think and it was becoming a bit like that then but they knew each other so they recognized each other's voices because I didn't know who was who um so it's like the operations director and the financial director and you know this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. um but at one point it's like hailing on my little roof of my little shed <laughs> they said what's that noise so I thought well shall I pretend I'm working in some big office in London or something or shall I tell them the story and I told them the story that I was in a garden shed in Cornwall <laughs> in the middle of the night and it was paining <laughs> and they loved it and it made me human it made me not just be a voice at the end of the line asking them all these silly questions which I didn't really have time for um no actually they did because it's improving their their business service that they were getting for the company mm. that we were working for at the time, to do with airlines and the, but I did I did quite enjoy that part of it mm. anyway that's <laughs> that's quite the way really. Um, but one of the biggest things I did to help my own recovery was when I began helping my own recovery, actually taking back control. Mm. Because when you get into that medical system, which ch- saved my life, you know I've got no complaints about the the treatment I received. Um, but you feel as if you're uh, on a conveyor belt. As if you're just parts of the body and the doctors then still talk to you know a, you know that the hysterectomy in bed number so and so or whatever you know not the, the thing that really fright, frightened me actually when I was in on the day I was admitted and of course I was fine there and nothing had been done to me and I was sitting there and I was you know, like running away <laughs> <laughs> and the consultant came out it was a female surgeon I admire her for being successful in her field in those days she, but she'd had to fight so hard, she was as hard as or harder than the men, you know. She's one yeah. of those Margaret Thatcher mold of women, which she it is. had to be really to succeed in those things. But she said to me, Well, you look like you're ready to go home. And the nurse said, No, 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 you haven't operated. <laughs> <laughs> said, well, you know? She's operating. Oh <laughs> my goodness, all these visions of, you know, operating mistakes and things going through your mind that you hear about. And she was actually a very skilled surgeon, I'm sure she did a good job. But, Oh, dude, that was a bit scary. Um, Anyhow, what I did was start um, turning to complementary therapies, which is when you have the time with the person. It almost doesn't matter which therapy, I Um, don't think. I I tried different things and some of them help more than others. It's actually the time you have with the practitioner and the attention they give you and and their knowledge, you know, they have have lots of different things. The first person I went to was um, an acupuncturist. He was also a GP, uh, Mm. which, gave you know, I was sort of straight out of the medical system, so it gave me more confidence going to somebody, particularly if they're going to stick needles in you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, it it had some positive effects, but, of course, it works on the whole holistic principle, so it has energy effects as well as physical effects, and I know that really helped. And I did various other things, and eventually Reiki was the thing I I really found the best, and that. Actually, that was a few years later, probably but a couple of years later. The first time I had a Reiki treatment, I just cried the whole time. My yeah. tears flowed. Uh, I was, you know, luckily the, you know, the practitioner didn't wasn't phased by it because she knew that's often, you know, the effect <laughs> of it. And it was the very first time I had that treatment, and it was just it was extraordinary. And later on, I have trained, so I've done all the Reiki, Reiki levels, and uh, I don't practice except for friends and family. But I know it helps me in my work and. Yeah, being with people and listening well and, and all those things. So, so that was part of it. And the other thing I did was, because um, I couldn't find anything written about cervical cancer from the patient's point of view. Yeah. Um, quite a bit about the time, and there wasn't much support. Either. The first thing I tried to do was to find support. And um, I asked my doctor if I could speak to other women who'd had the same diagnosis, and she just said, no, there's no system to do that. It's confidential, patient confidentiality there wasn't so eventually i found some of the helplines where you speak to And you still couldn't speak to other people so um after a while uh, a couple of the, a year or so later when i was making a better recovery i decided to start um collecting women's stories of having mm-hmm. cervical cancer and compiling a, a book out of it and at the beginning i thought it would just be snippets of their quotes from them and some some other stuff which I didn't really know what it would be but the stories are so extraordinary yeah that each one had a, a chapter of their own it's out of print now but I happen to obviously this isn't on camera when people are listening. <laughs> you can still find it on on second hand flying in the face of fear and it's not me on this cover with somebody wing walking on a biplane <laughs> that's one of the women in the book but um, that title was thought of by somebody else and then that picture came up as the perfect illustration and it was such um a nourishing and empowering thing for all of us to be able to share something of what you know, what's a horrible experience, yeah. but it had changed all our lives, and some, certainly for me, a lot of the changes have been really positive. And it is one of those times I wouldn't be
1: here doing this talking to you now, probably, if I yeah. hadn't had that experience. It, exactly, and it's where, the fact that you can reach out and connect with other women that have been through something. It does seem to be when we're at school and we're taught everything in biology, we're taught the basics. We don't know what to look for. We don't know what the symptoms and the signs are for any of the scary stuff that really we should be able to catch early. And it's things like that you're not taught. I mean, I'm coming up the other end of the menopause. But at school, you're never told what the menopause is. You don't know what the symptoms are. It isn't until you start speaking to other women And say, oh, yes, I felt that. I felt that. And it's like I've always been a really strong intellectual woman. And I find with the menopause now, I forget silly words. I'll be in the middle of a sentence and I think I'm going to keep going because I know that the name, the word I'm after is going to come to me. But suddenly you get to that space in the sentence and you think, I don't know what word I'm supposed to put in there. And that, I think, has been my biggest learning curve to actually navigate the fact that the menopause affects your memory and you forget certain things and it's it's weird because they don't tell you what to expect or anything and it's like you said if you've got a book and you can connect to people you can share your stories and you don't feel alone you don't feel as if it's just happened to you and it's support networks I think are one of the best things look at COVID where we've all been in our own little bubbles with a support network that has become social media where we've reached out and connected with people that's a way of almost staying sane keeping your sanity isn't it yeah absolutely yeah and I love I love Facebook
0: for all those good things it's brought me I know it's just like any communications medium it's it's a neutral thing actually. It's what you do with it that matters, yeah, like a newspaper exactly. or a telephone or anything else. And you know, I find those the good bits, and I love the community. <laughs> it's brought me and it's brought me talking to you, it's brought me to all sorts of other people. So the I mean, that, what you said earlier about exhaustion, your your mother after her surgery, that's exactly the sort of thing that I learned from talking to these other women. Yeah. So thought, well, it's not just me. <laughs> You know, it's it's normal. You know, you think there's something wrong with you, because the doctors tell you you should be better by now. You know, the recovery time is normally this or this. And, I even went back quite a few times and saw this uh, scary consultant who staff were all terrified of her as well. (laughs) And she had a real, you know, was really cross with me at one time. It appeared that way for going back and almost complaining about her work or something. I mean, you're you're not a, you know, my husband's an engineer, uh, a mechanic and and technician and all those things. And he, he took it really hard because he couldn't fix things for me. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a car. I couldn't get a new part, replace it, and I'd be as good as new. Yeah. Um, sadly, in some ways. <laughs> so he found it really hard. He's really, really good at doing practical things, and he did lots of that while I was in hospital, and made all the lovely things for me when I got home to find. But he's not all that good at the emotional support. Yeah. So, yeah. What I've learned, obviously, through my life now, is that no one person can do all that. And, you if know, you're yeah, lucky enough to have a, some of that in a in a marriage or a relationship. That's a great bonus in a lot of ways, but it's perfectly okay to go and find that support somewhere else. And that's what you know we did with this book and and other things like that I've done. That was my first real experience of um, of getting together with other women. That and the the OU course that started off with that, that mm-hmm. genuine education one. I got involved in lots of early things about you know good, good girls and science and STEM subjects, yeah. yes, technology, engineering, and maths, and all those things. I did lots of stuff along those lines in those years as well. So I better, I better move ahead a little bit now. <laughs> that, obviously a big turning point was that book. And that's, that really, and that also connected me with um, with more of my spiritual side as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, brought me into that and changed a lot of things for me. I read lots and all those things happened. Um, so anyway, what, what was my next changing career path? <laughs> with, that, with that, obviously this experience, I was really interested in helping people um, in their health. So yes. after a few, after a year or so, about a year, I think, um, a post came up with the local um, community health councils They were called, then you may have come across those. Um, one of the NHS was always being reorganised, as we all yes. know. And that's one of the yes. parts that supports sort the of system. But uh, there was a job as um, as research assistant at the time, it later upgraded to re- project and research officer, which meant I got a better salary, which was great. <laughs> it started off, it was a big drop in salary for my previous one but they it was part-time and the other company asked me to stay on with them part-time so that was really nice. Of them. So I did two jobs for a while in different sorts of research and we did some really interesting things at the Community Health Council um, looking at actually one they'd just done one about cancer services before I arrived there but we did one on patient transport to hospital that was great fun and uh, we did some things with the MPs in Cornwall trying mm. to get to the nearest general hospital there's only two with Triliskin in Truro and Derryford in Plymouth. And we did this lovely trip one day with the MP for um, St. Dostal-Foy area, if anybody knows Cornwall, on the south coast of Cornwall. But we decided to travel from Polruan where you have to catch a ferry, Foy, you have to catch a bus to the station and get a train to Truro, and then a bus to the hospital um, with the MP. And the MP, all but one of the five MPs in Cornwall at the time came along with me and did this trip. So, quite impressed one of them didn't do it but so that was really interesting stuff so i arranged all this and then we did a, some more around um, sort of questionnaires and research and wrote this all up so that was a really interesting time except in my second year there we were announced that they're going to be abolished by the government in their grand reorganization so that caused a lot of changes and upheaval but it took a couple of years before it actually happened
1: yeah yeah they do
0: <laughs> that's, that was my first experience of being made redundant so that's one of the things you mentioned in your. And mm. uh, your talks before i know i've had three all together that was my first one and that's when i heard about life coaching um yeah. because the chc is the community health councils, are part of the nhs and they provide a really good package but it included things like counseling and career advice but not what anything called coaching which i just heard about so i decided to pay for it myself mm. and it was such a brilliant thing to do because a it was separate it was yeah. independent of the, the organization not that that wasn't confidential course it was confidential whatever you did there with the counseling but I found it really really positive and I loved it so much I retrained eventually as a life coach yeah. myself I started off doing some counseling training but I decided coaching was more where I wanted to be it's more forward-looking counseling is great some situations and I've used both yeah I went on from that so the next job I got was in a local college um, working on a, with a team, supporting people going into business and becoming self-employed, yes. um, specifically for the job centres, which is in this country where people go if they're out of work and get support. Um, so for people doing that. And it was on a you know, it's on a contract. So we went out around Cornwall and ran mm. courses for groups. We did one-to-one coaching work with them. Um, a lot of form filling and box ticking. <laughs> like bureaucracy of course because it was free to the participants as long as they were eligible so you had to um, get all that part of it but you know I hadn't I I'd I done a little bit of teaching a tiny bit of teaching before that in adult education I started running as well I had already started running some workshops along coaching lines with adult education locally and their training was really good actually it was really good training for their part-time tutors Which is alongside that. But with the college, I also had to train through their system and get professional qualifications. And over the time I was there, I did the most like a postgraduate certificate of education, which I didn't really want to do, but it was part of the requirement of the job. So I did all that as well, as you do. And even though we were trainers, really, not teachers, but they wanted us all to have the same standards, which is fair (laughs) enough. So I met lots of interesting people, did some amazing things, had some really difficult times. (laughs) Some (laughs) doing at work, had some tears, had some real stressful times as well, and then that came to them because the contract ended and uh, we were made redundant. So that was the second one, and the next I had about nine months without any work, and even though I was running my business, I started the business in two thousand and three, ticking over, but I hadn't, couldn't really see how to make enough money was going at times my husband's self-employed as well so that's another complication you know, at the time we you yeah. were pretty much depending on me having some sort of a salary so that was a really hard time and I I was going on having the coaching all through this I knew it was really important and my coach was really helpful because he um, really helped me get out of that tunnel vision when you think you know I've got to do this this is what I have been doing so I've got to do the same thing yeah I, I was that's what was happening with the NHS role as well because they the source you warn you into something else from the organization anyway eventually in the september of 2009 i was appointed to a, another role supporting people starting off as self-employed but in a, a separate organization they were a company based in cambridge but they were setting up in cornwall for the first time running this program which they called outset cornwall which um, was much broader than the one the college used to run i really loved it there's lots of personal development work in the early stages to help people to help the person before they were even ready to start the business that was the yeah. ethos of it so things about confidence building and um, assertiveness and you know a lot of women's stuff they had some specific women's courses as well which we around so um then took people right through into you know starting their business and getting going and supporting them for the first year or so afterwards and that's it was a really good program. I was in on the team that wrote most of it and started it all off. And um, we were, in, again, a totally new team. And there was because they had to recruit people who were very independent, able to go out and work on their own out in the community. It meant that we, we weren't very good team players. <laughs> <title>. <laughs> so our manager was saying, it's like herding cats trying to work with you singles say June, or do what you're told or anything. Oh of course we don't. We're all independent spirits <laughs> <laughs> you know how it should be done. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah there was an interesting time. And we all you know we, we got along, we learned to work together and we worked well as a team across the county and the programme had a great success. And it was renewed a couple of times a contract and then in 2015 that contract ended um, entirely and there was a gap in the funding. It was all European funding was People did, they did come back again once they'd sorted that out. But by then, I decided to focus on Dare to Blossom mm. and didn't really want to go back to being employed by somebody else, to be quite honest, even though it would have been attractive to have a salary again. I found I, I didn't actually need as much to survive one as I thought I did. And I just love the life I live now because yeah. I go out and people about sharing things on Facebook. I go out for walks on the cliffs here in North Cornwall. I share pictures of. I time to go back to the artwork I used to do. I used to do the wax painting and Caustic art. My craft business, I kept all the kit for that. I've gone back to that. I have time to develop the, um, the things that I do more and do more with the groups. Yeah. So right at the beginning, you said that I've, one of my Facebook profile pieces was about being a magic carpet ride guide. That's one of the things I do. I take people on guided visualisations which takes you on a magic carpet ride. Oh, wow.
1: Well, that
0: sounds fantastic. That really does. <laughs> it does. It? And it is. And I use it one-to-one. I use it in the in the groups I run. And um, you know, it always makes people smile, yeah. which is a wonderful starting point. And the principle of it is that we all know the answers deep within us. And we just don't have a time or space or thinking Moments in our busy lives to let it emerge, and that's as I always say to people: I give you a quiet, safe place to hear yourself think. And um, I could share with you one of my other tools in a moment if we have time left. We probably we have Uh, the magic carpets. And if anybody who's used guided visualizations before, I mean, obviously they're all different, but they will take you on a journey. You may or may not see any of the things that the person speaking, like me, describes. takes you on a journey and often people come back with really concrete insights for their business or their career yeah sometimes they've been on a journey where they've met people who passed over which is very moving Mm. sometimes they've been on extraordinary travels all over the place with no apparent reason or rhyme behind them sometimes they've had a really deep rest Mm. and sometimes they go to sleep (laughs) I've had people go to sleep with their iPad on their on their chest, feet up, you know, sort of thing. Um, But uh, it's it's always magical, and people that have been doing it with me for for quite a few years now, some of them always say it's always different every single time, and it always brings insight. And because when you're in a group, when we share, I set up the groups so they're they're small and they're very safe and supportive. And we just started this week actually, and it's Five of us in that one, sometimes they're a bit bigger, sometimes they're not. Um, it just becomes a place where people know it's safe to come and share. Yeah. So the things that people share are often the magic that we need to hear. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's not the, the structure of it often that provides you that nugget of gold to take away. It's often the, the word that somebody else says or the image they've shared with you or the card that's drawn. So I you share the cards now. So I created these little cards a few years ago. Oh, they are beautiful. Oh, the they really are loved. Yeah, Death of Blossom Rediscovery Card. So it's about rediscovering your inner wisdom. And I have a, a free group on Facebook actually called Death of Blossom into Joy, where I share a word of the day every day. So if anybody's interested, come and share in that. But the principle is I'll I'll demonstrate to you that's the easiest way to do it. Just Brilliant. a word and a colour. All I do is I'm shuffling them around on the desk. here, And... So your word today,
1: Pearls oh, of Wisdom. Oh, that's wonderful. Considering what this podcast is called, Pearls of Wisdom. I mean, talk about synchronicities.
0: <laughs> exactly. I was trying not to laugh when I pulled it up, but that was totally random that on my desk and about. <laughs>
1: Isn't that funny? <laughs> oh, but it, I think everything happens for a reason. And like you've said, with the groups and everything, quite often it's the energy of the others in the group that help you for that inner growth, yes, yes, exactly.
0: So that would be your word today. So my my questions in the the Facebook group are always, you know, what's your first response? To the words, the color, what else is there? That's always a good yeah. question. Just to delve in, people journal with them or they meditate. And when we're in the group, all the words are drawn for each of us for everybody anyway, and we can all get yeah. some from the different ones one of my regulars she said your cards are spooky she'd always say how do they know what's (laughs) going on in my life I haven't told you I don't know
1: (laughs) but uh, that's again that's the energy that's the spiritual side like when I talk about pearls of wisdom I cover business spirituality and well-being because you need all three of those areas Mm -hmm. to have a really fulfilled enjoyable life like you were saying right at the very beginning where yes If you have a passion and you start working for yourself, the main worry is you don't realise it's a worry until you're actually in it. Because you love what you're doing so much, you do too much of it and then you have no work-life balance. And that can be a real, although you love it, the amount of times I've hit burnout because I go flat out to do everything. Like we were talking about just the International Women's Day and the fact that I've got so many interviews still to do I've had to look at my body and say right see the signs back off because like we said to begin with I was doing 15 interviews a week and I've had to bring it back to Tuesdays and Thursdays because otherwise I wouldn't have been fit to actually deliver anything because I was wearing myself out and it's knowing that and that's one of the biggest things and when you start to do the spiritual side like the work you're doing and the work you're doing with your groups. That helps your business grow because you have that energetic support from the spiritual side. And then the well-being, how often, because I know I'm guilty of this, I go flat out and I'm into something. Say I'm building a website. It will be evening before I know it. I haven't stopped for a a break. I haven't stopped to eat. And then I suddenly realize I'm hungry. So I eat rubbish as opposed to healthy things because I just want something that's a quick fix of sugar to give me the energy to come back and carry on working and it's understanding all of those things and like you said with the wake-up call with the cancer you start to look within and say now how do I get better what is it that I can bring into my life that has been lacking before and that's what you do with all your groups you give that back to everyone yeah yes that's right it's being aware of those things
0: and um, I'll just quickly show you this is the the second book I did which was Coaching and creativity. So that came before the cards, actually. Oh, that is, is wonderful. Looking at it now, quite a few of the chapter headings are single words. So I think that's sort of where I got the idea from the cards, <laughs> the part of the idea. And then there's another little one which goes showing you that you them, but you've got a privileged view because so everybody else has to look at the notes. <laughs> uh, I didn't do a companion guide for the rediscovery cards for a long time because my opinion was that you don't need me to tell you what to think; it's your inner wisdom. The yeah. But people said they really like to have a structure to yeah. go with that. So eventually I came in and did it. So for each word, it's just got a description and a, um, a definition, sometimes some interesting derivations. I really love language and where words come from. Yeah. And just the questions I just mentioned to you. And then on the, the second side of the page is just some quotes from my Facebook group of people have given me permission to share them anonymously of the sort of different things that people say. So they, you know, and there's, there's not any right or wrong. So sometimes, what's this word here? Somebody said, "Oh, relaxation." The first one is it's something I need more of. Well, that's your first response, isn't it? And somebody else has written the great big paragraph. Yeah, so it doesn't matter what your response is; it's just what it is in that
1: moment. It'll be different next time. And so it will fun. be. And- and like you've said, with that, you can have the same word. It could come up for next week, but you'd have a different response because the energy that's with you at the time could be completely different to what it was that week before. And it's almost seeing that that's the lovely spiritual side. And when you bring the Reiki into it, everything, you can actually see all of these different aspects and therapies come together to help people see the different areas they need to do the work in. Mm and it's just wonderful and this is what I love so much yes like you started off your journey in corporate you and I very similar that yes I've worked public sector I've done private sector I've done NHS I've done education I've worked with Open University so even all these things and when it comes to education I'm like a kid in the sweet shop I think you can't You can always learn something new and you can always grow. Like my first company, my slogan was knowledge is power because it is. And I know people will then add to it, knowledge is power, but only if you use it. But if you've got it up there, if you've actually studied, you can bring it out at any time that you need it. You might not need it immediately, but it could be on another area of your journey. That knowledge you've acquired from education, the wisdom you've learned you can then put that in place to move forward and change and it's just wonderful and it's lovely to but you do all these like I say you start with the business side we both of us go flat out work so hard and then you have to realize well rein it in and the whole idea of a work-life balance you think it's this mythical magical thing that you get if you win the lottery but if you if you don't understand work-life balance, you won't remain well enough to enjoy the life part because all you'll be doing is working. Exactly, exactly. And even when I love my work so much, you know, I still need
0: to have those those boundaries. Yeah. Um, and the, the big change for me from being working for a company and an employer is is being fully myself, you know, bringing my whole of myself to work because particularly in Cornwall is a small community you know if I was going out to a networking event or something I'd have to remember which hat I had to wear you know yeah what's his hat or can I put my hat on, so <laughs> Who can I talk about there's always that bit of a worry that you were saying the wrong thing whereas now I can just be myself like I can be as, as as mad as I like or as peculiar as I like <laughs> people just love it so you mentioned power just now so I just have to show you my most recent book which is a powerful voice the quiet ones oh I love
1: that reflecting on introverts life but isn't that so true so many people say the people that have the power aren't always the people that are doing the talking at the time it's the ones that are being quiet and listening and digesting everything and then when they do speak that's when they blow your mind because they've had so the time to digest everything whereas quite often you'll find the extroverts will be out there saying something but have they really taken the time to digest what it is they're saying or are they speaking just for the sake of speaking?
0: Exactly. exactly. And that's why I'm really passionate about inclusivity for everybody because there's so many variations of human beings and the obvious ones are uh, gender and and race and colour and all those things. But actually, you know, there's all those introvert, extrovert gradations and we're all on a a scale. I think in business and work, when I was in work anyway, it was set up for extroverts. Yeah. It you was know, set definitely. up, and shouted loudest in the meetings, got heard. And I worked for a really lovely female manager for, for six years. And she kept saying, I know you've got lots of good things to offer, Mary. Why don't you speak up in the meetings? I said, Well, by the time I've put my thoughts together, somebody else has, has spoken up, or you've moved on, or whatever mm-hmm. else. And, um, you know, after a while, I learned that that was a strength, not a failing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, it was much better to be quiet and sit sit back and watch and observe and think more deeply. But I think you know the organizations that we work with and for are losing such a lot, yeah. not using everybody's skills. Uh, somebody else's skill might be not in words, it might be in design or in making three d things and, mm. and one of the people I work with I'll always remember him. he was um, in one of these groups starting a business and he was severely dyslexic. So much so he could you know, barely read and write. But he could visualize a 3D diagram and make these magic tricks. Yeah. In his head. Didn't he draw anything, write anything. And he just I could just see it. I can see it, I can turn it around, look at it, I can see where everything needs to go, and I can see what's you know, what's gonna pop up here, where is a I don't know, a rabbit out of a hat or something, you know? But whatever he was doing and he made these extraordinary things, and it's absolutely amazingly clever and skilled to do it and that probably wouldn't have been appreciated in the world world of work because they look at his paper qualifications which are probably not very much yeah. even if he had some qualifications in you know hand um skills you still got to do something on paper to prove you've got skills very yeah. sure often you had to in those days so I, I feel very strongly that it's you know women need to be supportive all the skills we have yeah. and the other thing we used to say to, to women when they came along with no confidence in these courses was, what do you do when you're running your household? Yeah. You know, you're budgeting, you're planning, you're managing people, you're conflict-resolving. Yeah. All Is time. It, it's,
1: these, <laughs> it's these transferable skills that people aren't aware of. And when you say as well, like, if someone had dyslexia, when you look at diversity now, And I've done a few interviews that have covered unconscious bias. And I think quite often, if you don't understand all the areas that people excel in, you have a very linear approach and that's where you're unconsciously biased in a certain direction, like you were saying. If you don't, if people aren't academically minded, they're not brilliant with pen and paper to answer questions, but they are truly gifted and genius in another way and you can't see that, that's a form of unconscious bias because you are automatically negating that person because you can't see the skills, because you can't take yourself out of your current situation and see how someone else interacts and I think that's a massive learning curve for so many people. Absolutely. And it was for me when I started doing this
0: work with the unemployed group. Mm. You know, I had to be really aware of my judgment of people. Mm. You know, somebody's there with uh, the piercings all over the place and tattoos and all the rest of it, a bit of attitude sometimes, not always. Um, you know, there's a real vulnerable human being underneath there. He's probably terrified coming into this classroom for the first time of the year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once you get through that, and, you know, I had some lovely experiences of people. Had uh, One young man, I'll just have to tell a story. You were teaching background of education. We were doing some calculations, cash flow forecasts we were doing, and they had calculators. He just could not get the answer to this sum right, even though I was telling him how to do it and showing So he stayed back when we had a break. I said, well, just show me what you're doing. I won't show you, show me. And all it was, he said he had been ill a lot as a child, missed a lot of school. He didn't understand what the divide symbol on the calculator meant. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't using it properly. So he couldn't divide because he didn't know what that button did. So it yeah. would divide one figure by the other. And once he got that, his eyes lit up. And he said, Oh, let me do another one. Oh, that yeah. works. I got the right answer. And it was just <laughs> a magical moment. And I just thought, well, just having a sit down quiet with somebody and having patience. Yeah, to, to do that and not shout at him which some people might have done and it's probably what had happened you know his family or his school or whatever maybe not but nobody's actually discovered before that was the reason we couldn't do this calculation with the calculator which you know for a lot of us we've watched enough and it's, it's quite easy but having said that
1: I've done that often enough and pressed the wrong key and wondered why it's all gone wrong myself <laughs> so I know well, that quite well <laughs> I think we're all like that in certain areas and it's, it's knowing what that is and to understand and unlock those wonderful gifts from something else. I mean, like you were saying with the way people work and interact, quite often I've had to do things like Myers Briggs. You've probably had to do that in corporate. Mm. And the amount of feedback that you'd get, it doesn't matter what you day day you do it, you'll probably get a different answer because you've got a different response. And how does that tell an employer how good you are at something it really doesn't and you look at projects if you had a slew of leaders and nothing else no project would be done because you'd need someone that could do the clerical or the admin you'd need someone that would organize people because nine times out of ten a leader will have a great idea but they don't always know how to deliver it because they need the doers underneath them to do that and it is. I always go back to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because when I see and when they talk about the stories and how people left the earth, and you had the intellectuals went to one planet, and all the cleaners and the hairdressers and everything went to another, but it was the intellectuals that were wiped out. Because no one knew how to keep the place clean because they were too busy being intellectual. They didn't do anything else. And it's there's a massive lesson to be learned from that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I had to talk about to, you know, assessments and things.
0: I had, to, well, in that year when I was going for lots of interviews, I had two interviews, two days running. And they both had these assessment centres, you know, where you do all these tests, you have to play these team <laughs> games. They're observing you with clipboards and you know, intelligence tests, Myers-Briggs, all that stuff. Um, but the um, it's funny because at the end of the first day we'd all decide we come sort of like a siege spirit. In the end, we'd all decided who ought to get the job, and she did. Glad to say, And um, we all we'd all decided we'd all team together. And uh, anyway, I got didn't get the feedback from that one until two or three days later. I did, it was it was a two day one that I decided to withdraw from that and go to the second interview the next day. And I went to that one, and a similar thing, you know, all this stuff. But the first feedback from the first day said I was far too passive didn't take the lead enough. I just followed on everybody else, you know, et cetera. The second one, so I was too bossy. <laughs> <laughs> I told everybody what to do. <laughs> and it's because nobody else stood up to take a lead, so I decided I would better do something. So I yeah. did And yeah, you know, the first one I withdrew from the second one, I didn't get the job. And there's a whole story behind that, which I won't tell you now. It was one of those horrible situations where they were supposed to give you a first preference because you were being maybe redundant and all that stuff. Complicated to go into. It's so interesting, isn't it? I just, I know it's you know. Employers have to have a way of you know deciding who to employ, but the only way to decide is to employ them and see how they get on, basically, and that often happens, isn't it? You either leave
1: or they can't cope and have to get moved somewhere else or something. But also, we know. I've been to enough interviews, and because I contract and work for myself, and I go to see the client, I might be up against lots of other people. And I know I have aced an interview, no feedback or anything. And then when you find out later, they filled the role internally, and they had—that's what they wanted to do in the first place. But they had to be seen to tick every box to be completely open and transparent when they weren't at all, because they'd already decided who it was that was going to have the job. And that can be so frustrating, because you can do all this, you know you're a good fit, they've chosen your CV, they want you to do the role, and you can really share all your all your pearls of wisdom in an interview, because everyone wants to ace that interview, mm-hmm. only to find that they didn't even have a job in the first place. No, and no, no. and that can be frustrating, but it's always coming to terms It's not you, it's them, because they don't know what they want. And how many people have gone out for a company, will put a job role out, interview for it, and then realise, actually, this is the wrong job description. We don't need project managers. We need a product um, manager. And although the word's so very similar, it does two completely different things. And if they don't know that, the times I've gone for roles as a communications consultant but they realize that isn't really what they want. And I'm thinking, well, why ask me in the first place? I I interviewed recently for a top client and then they came back. It was as a stakeholder engagement lead. And they came back and said, you didn't have enough content design. And I'm thinking, well, yes, I've got that. But as a lead, you don't do that. You need to have the understanding. It's someone in your team that would actually be doing the designing. Once you get to a certain level you're not doing the doing you're doing the advising and I thought then you didn't have a clue it was the completely wrong title of a role to put out for people mm-hmm. but this is how we learn isn't it Absolutely. Yeah. yeah interesting world
0: Man, I'm very fortunate I'm not in that world anymore <laughs> I can make my own titles like magic carpet ride guide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I'll tell you what just to finish off change the Home, would you like to uh, there's another there's a third part so in my groups and my one-to-ones I use the cards I showed you so you have wisdom I use the magic carpet ride and I use a, a poem a meditation poem I wrote which is based around again I'm showing you something which people won't see if they look at my website but this is the compass rose
1: based <laughs> on map,
0: back to maps back to my early upbringing <laughs> maps they used to have those intricate compasses on them which were called compass roses and this is the process I work with I can't point on camera so I won't try <laughs> so in the in the group i'm working at the moment most of them i work with we have six weeks we start with a week on peace we have a week looking north to purpose east for passion south for power west for progress and we return to peace in week six and the start and end of each um group zoom call we do as the group begins and ends with this little poem which is a meditation poem, and it reconnects us to our peace within so the whole yeah. principle of that compass roads is if we can always be in that peaceful place within us we can step out into any of those points of the compass step into our power into our purpose passion and progress forwards but still be grounded and centered in our center point and that's a powerful place to be if you can stay in that place I use it for myself all the time if I feel a bit stressed or a bit blown off you know like you do a bit wobbled by something somebody said or done I will recite that to myself and I feel much more centred and grounded and powerful afterwards. I I taught it to myself up on the cliffs one year and recited it to the seagulls. (laughs) So I learned it, so I know it now. But it takes a couple of minutes, that's all. So let's finish with this before we say goodbye. That would be wonderful. So the voice of the compass rose who speaks to is the voice of your inner guidance. So who's listening, you might like to close your eyes if you're comfortable doing that, if you're in a safe place to do that. Compass rose speaks. I am your compass rose. My center point is peace, grounding, balancing. Look up, look north to your guiding star, your purpose. From the east comes the rising sun, passion, potential. South is a source of nature's powers, the flowing rivers, the rising tides, the ever changing ocean the wind that shapes the land, the power that is arising in you. West is the land of the setting sun, progressing forward into the night, anticipating the promise of a new day. Return your attention to your centre point, to peace, grounded, balanced. I am your compass rose.
1: Wow. That is absolutely fantastic. Oh, Mary, that is brilliant. I mean, we said even before we went into this interview, we'd have to have you back. You've you've touched on so many wonderful things, even just your books. We could cover one of your books in a single episode. So I would love to ask you back to cover all these different things because you have so much to share with us. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. It's been a joy sharing with you. And as you can tell, I'm passionate about what I do and love sharing it. Oh, it is absolutely wonderful. And as we said at the very beginning, this is for International Women's Day. So before I let you go, can I ask you the one question I ask everyone on these interviews? Mary, what do you choose to challenge, please? I, I choose to challenge um, preconceptions
0: yeah. of people. So I'm a I'm a short woman with grey hair and wrinkles. What do people see? They probably don't see the powerful being that lives inside me, which comes out sometimes when I let as much
1: as possible. Oh, this is wonderful! I I totally agree with you. I love that definition. That it is what do we choose to challenge? Because so many people see something on the outside, and they don't have a clue of the phenomenal woman is standing before them and that is absolutely wonderful and you've shed so much wisdom so much so many golden nuggets on this interview it just leaves me to say a massive thank you and I can't wait until you can get back mm-hmm. and we can share more pearls of wisdom on some of the subjects we've just touched on today so thank you so much wonderful I'll look forward to that pearl thank you Thank you for
0: listening to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the content shared. Please share with others who would like to enjoy these interviews and discussions. If you would like to support the podcast, please follow the link in the episode description. If you want to be a guest on the show, reach out and let's discuss next steps. Until the next time, enjoy your listening.